everything classic. From the heart of Tennessee, Mule Town Radio, 103.7 FM and 1340 AM. Sometimes we need a little extra help. Whether you're recovering from an illness or surgery, Murray Regional Home Services offers care ranging from nursing services to physical therapy in the comfort of your home. Our highly qualified and caring staff provides individualized care for patients in an eight-county region. To learn more about Murray Regional Home Services, visit murrayregional.com or call 931-490-4600. That's 490-4600. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter. Like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hi, I'm Steve, the garbage man. By now you all know about Don, our service truck guy. Well, let me tell you about another member of our service team, and that's Mike Ashley. He's the guy you'll talk to when you call the office. Just call and talk to Mike one time at 931-540-0919, and you'll see why we're lucky to have him here at the Garbage Man. Thanks, Mike, for all you do to keep the Garbage Man first in service. That's 931-540-0919. For 60 years, people all over Middle Tennessee have returned to Parks Motor Sales again and again because they get the best vehicles and best service possible. Go to ParksMotorSales.com for options. New Buicks, pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs, financing, certified technicians, parts, tires, and more. Then stop by 919 Nashville Highway, test drive a Buick, and see why the Buick Encore and Buick Enclave are among America's most reliable vehicles. Experience the new Buick at Parks Motor sales. Good morning. It's time for this week's episode of History's Hook, sponsored by SurfPro with your host, Tom Price. Take it away, Tom. Good morning and welcome to History's Hook, where I guarantee that we'll get you hooked on history. I'm your host, Tom Price. Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. We'll explore a new topic every week and bring in experts and eyewitnesses to the events and places we'll be talking about. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. Today's episode is a second part to an earlier program we did on the Cold War, that featured a local man who was one of the very first field agents for the newly formed National Security Agency. In 1954, Mr. Bob Jones was just 21 years old, but already an experienced spy. He was tasked with gathering information on both America's enemies as well as its allies. During the years that Mr. Jones was in the NSA, he traveled all over Europe, including to the countries of Germany, Belgium, Denmark, Italy, 
Greece, France, Scotland, Finland, Norway, and Turkey. Mr. Jones has recorded his incredible story in a short book titled Room 204, Story of a Cold War Spy. Mr. Jones, welcome back to History's Hook. Good morning, Tom. We're also joined in the studio today by my co-host, Dr. Barry Gidcombe. Good morning, Professor Gidcombe. Good morning, Tom. Mr. Bob, we should start by recapping a little bit about how you got recruited into the National Security Agency. Uh, you graduated from Haylong High School in 1951 with the aspirations of becoming a mechanical engineer. Uh, but after, I think you said, a semester, uh, you, 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 the funds run, ran dry, <laughs> as often happens, and you decided the military was your, your next path. Uh, where, where did you go for basic training, and, and how did the NSA come into your life? I went to my uh, basic training to Fort Knox, Kentucky, after being inducted into Fort Jackson, South Carolina, for uh, a lot of testing and so forth. But then I was carried to Fort Knox, Kentucky, and, and there I put in 16 weeks of very, very rigid infantry basic training, and uh, which at the end of that basic training, we... Uh, I, I, without knowing, I had no idea, I was uh, told to report to the orderly room, the, which was the company office. And uh, there I was met with a U.S. Uh, marshal who uh, had orders to carry me to Langley, Virginia, the headquarters, which was becoming the headquarters of the CIA at that time, being moved from Washington, downtown Washington, D.C. So during your basic training, was there any testing that you did that was different from what the other recruits were, were doing? No, it really wasn't. What testing I had was previously at Fort Jackson. You know, I had a lot of uh, preliminary testing, and I, the only thing I can relate to, Tom, is uh, I had some previous experience with Morse code uh, from scouting experiences of my scout leader and merit badges and so forth, and uh, I was familiar with the dots and the dashes, and, and maybe that's what picked me up and then, and then for some reason called somebody's attention to uh, the radios, the Morse code. So this marshal picks you up after basic training, and he takes you to Virginia. Um, and at CIA headquarters, you were engaged in more specialized training. Can you describe some of the training that you went through there? Yeah, it, we was uh, divided. In, it was just a group of seven of us, and uh, we were there for four weeks. And our primary training was to, to, uh, to just to be able to observe and know what we see and and, and any changes that might be made. We was uh, a lot of one-on-one -on -one training with CIA agents who would carry us to different little areas and villages and towns in and around Langley. And, and there we would observe and watch for a few hours, see any changes that might be made in the next hour or the next day, the next week even, uh, that, that we observed things that was going on. Uh, it, that became a very vital part in my further uh, experiences with the with the National Security Agency, just to know what you see and, and and recognize changes within that what you see. So after we last spoke, uh, I came across an article about a group of people who are actually suing the federal government uh, related to training uh, that they had gone through uh, by the CIA in the 1950s. Are you familiar with a program known as MK Ultra? Have you ever heard of that no, before? No, I'm it, not. It was a many-faceted program, the, the basis of which was focused on mind control. The project was organized through the Office of Scientific Intelligence of the CIA and coordinated with the United States Army Biological Warfare Laboratory. 
Um, the operation was officially sanctioned in 1953 by the government, but declassified MK Ultra documents indicate that they studied hypnosis in the early 1950s. Experimental goals included hypnotically increasing ability to learn and recall complex written matter, studying hypnosis and polygraph examinations, hypnotically increasing ability to observe and recall complex arrangements of physical objects, sort of what you're describing some of your training was, and studying the relationship of personality uh, personality to susceptibility to hypnosis. Did did you undergo any hypnosis while you were in training? Oh, yes. I wasn't aware of what you were saying, but I was certainly in the middle of that, that kind of training that went on. Uh, and that was at Ben Hill Farms. Uh, after my four weeks training at Langley, we were moved, the, the group of seven of us, to uh, Ben Hill Farms, Virginia, and, and there we underwent eight weeks of the most intense mental training uh, I, I believe any human being could go through uh in my own estimation i think that was strictly to see how much you could stand and where your breaking points might be we were subjected to hypnosis and uh to what extent that had on my actions my bearings i, I couldn't tell you uh but i know the the training was so intense we would go out for hours on hours going through the training and mental uh, abuse, you might say, uh, we would then be able to go back. We always booked in, in private rooms there at Ben Hill Farms. We would, could go back to our bedrooms. Sometimes we would stay an hour, sometimes three, sometimes 15 minutes, and we'd be called right back out. Three hours was the very most sleep I had at any one time for eight weeks Wow! in that training. At what point between basic training and the time that you go into the NSA did you realize? Did they actually tell you you were being trained for espionage? Uh, yes, uh, uh, they did. And this was in uh, when uh, our then-president, Harry Truman, made an announcement to the nation. It was in November 1952, I believe. And uh, uh, we were told after that, uh, his address to the nation, uh, that he had spoke, and one of the things he announced at that time was that there was going to be a new super-secret agency formed being called the National Security Agency, and uh, and we were told then by our leader and our officers there that we were a very first part of that. Um, so they did make you aware that you were, you were part of this at, new— At that time, yes. It was in October of 1952 that Truman established the NSA— uh, but officially on November 4th, just like you just said, it was Robert Lovett, the Secretary of Defense, who made the new agency responsible for all communications intelligence. Since President Truman's memo was a classified document, the existence of the NSA was not known to the public at the time, uh, and due to its ultra-secrecy, the U.S. intelligence community referred to the NSA as no such agency and sort of kept it under wraps for, for a long time. Did you have to be careful? Were, were you calling it NSA? No, 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 no. We didn't, we didn't know that it was NSA. We just knew that we was going into espionage uh, of, some, of some kind, uh, but not with an official name at that time. Okay. After your training, you were immediately put on board a ship to Frankfurt, Germany, uh, and after an eventful trip to the NSA headquarters in Frankfurt, you were sent to SHAPE headquarters in Paris. Uh, remind us what shape, what SHAPE was. SHAPE was a, 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 it stood for the su, uh, Supreme Headquarters, Allied Powers Europe. And there was all the NATO nations located in right outside Paris in um, 
Oh, I can't call the name of the little the, of the of the town, but anyway, it was right outside Paris, a little ways. Shape was a I, I recall the building shaped somewhat like uh, the Pentagon is today. All the NATO nations had their little individual sections that they were carried on their business, uh, but it was all brought together under one one, one being nearly. So by the time you get to Shape, have you? completed your training or is there more training that's happening in Paris no no we had basically com- had completed our training we were still in, in uh, groups of seven in our group there we had a what we call a chief of our station he was an ex-CIA agent uh, a very very uh, intelligent man uh, and we had uh, uh, two uh, full radio operators two cryptographic operators and myself as the agent of the station, and then our chief, made it still a group of, of seven within us. I suppose most of the higher-ups at this point in time were former OSS people. Uh, were some of them World War II veterans? Uh, yes. Yes, they were. Yeah. Any of them stand out in your mind? Do you remember? Uh, yes. Uh, the one at, at, uh, at, at Frankfurt uh, was, was more laid-back, uh, fatherly-type individual. That uh, I only had a few days with him. But the one that was at Shape Headquarters at the NASA, uh, NSA station there was a very, very sharp individual. Uh, and without a doubt, when you walked in the room, you knew that he was the one in charge. So this all sounds very serious, Mr. Bob, and make no mistake, it is. But were you able to make friends? Was there time to enjoy Paris while you were there? Or is this all business all the time? It was all business all the time. We, we were... Uh, told not to become uh, acquainted and, and, and friendly with one another. Uh, everything was strictly on the business side. Uh, uh, we were not told, we were told to, to nobody else was really interested in where we came from and who we were and, and anything about our past. We were strictly, strictly business. So you came from a small town in, in Tennessee. Was it lonely? Uh, yes. Yes, it was. Uh, Pretty much being by yourself, you're living by yourself. And in. you had a big family. You came from a big family, uh, too. I was a baby of eight. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so you find yourself in, in Paris all of a sudden, and uh, it seems like it would be a kind of a, a lonely existence. Were you scared? Uh, yes, I was. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. You know, I was also taken when I read your account at what a lonely existence that must have been. And, of course, you talked about in your training you never had more than three hours at a time of downtime. But but in Paris, certainly you, you, you probably had more time than that. And how did you spend your time? Did you read? Uh, I toured the city of Paris quite a bit uh, uh, by myself. Uh, we were not, not together. And, and we had the option uh, of living in, uh, on our own with a, a financial uh, uh, obligation but to stay in, in Paris if we wanted to or we could live at the shape headquarters there was some billeting areas there that we could could stay at and I, I did some with both I guess I was looking for for an out or looking for a friend some kind but uh, uh, it never really existed I, I I didn't grow to know other people's names and where they came from you know that's just what you do with friends it, it never existed the whole time Well, we're going to have to pause for a few minutes. Let's take a moment and listen to our sponsors. We'll be right back on History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by Serve Pro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. 
At Stat Wellness Primary Healthcare, we know in today's busy world, people expect quality products and services, plus convenience, even when it comes to healthcare. Don't wait to see your provider, wait somewhere else for lab work, and then wait somewhere else again for prescriptions. We can take care of it all in one stop. Come to Stat Wellness in Columbia, 1225 Hampshire Pike, and my team and I will take good care of you. Get on the road to wellness, Stat. Call now, 931-982-6333, 982-6333. Not everyone that goes to jail deserves to be there, but they all want out. If you or a loved one ends up in jail, call Billy Hood at ABC Bonding to get out as fast as possible. ABC Bonding knows how the system works, and they know their customers are in dire need of help. That's why they're open 24 hours a day, seven days a week to get you out. ABC Bonding in Columbia can be reached at 490-9799. That's 490-9799. Jones and Lane Sporting Goods is a full-service sporting goods store that supplies everything you, team or your entire league need for sports. Call 388-8060 or go to jonesandlane.com. Apparel, equipment, fan gear, from postseason prep to customized trophies at season's end. They've been in business more than 50 years because they give you the best products, the best service, and the best prices possible. Jones and Lane Sporting Goods, located in Neely's Mill right here in Columbus. Call 388-8060 or go to jonesandlane.com. If you're looking for quality, affordable jewelry, you must visit Tillis Jewelry. 30 years designing custom jewelry, restoring vintage jewelry, repairing jewelry and watches, and they're the perfect place for bridal pieces and engagement rings. They can help you find exactly what you're looking for or help you design the jewelry of your dreams. Just a short drive to Lewisburg on the square to visit Tillis Jewelry or browse Tillis Jewelry's collections on Facebook or Instagram. Property care doesn't have to be back-breaking and time-consuming work for you. Let the specialists at Storm and Norman's Lawn and Landscaping take care of it. You just enjoy. New or existing homes and businesses, basic lawn maintenance, complete property makeovers, new landscaping installs, and anything in between. Grading, gravel driveways, culverts, sod, drainage, beds, whatever you need. Find Storm and Norman's Lawn and Landscaping on Facebook, then give them a call. Storm and Norman's Lawn and Landscaping. History's Hook, sponsored by SurfPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Today we're talking once again with Mr. Bob Jones, who is one of the very first field agents with the National Security Agency back in the early 1950s. In 1953, Mr. Bob, you were sent on three missions to Malta, which was then a British protectorate. What was happening in Malta that you're, Malta of all places, uh, you're, you're in Paris initially, but you're sent, sent to Malta. What's happening in that country that you're being sent there so frequently? Well, there was a, a lot of, of Air Force and naval maneuvers that was being taken place in and around Malta, all over the Mediterranean. And, uh, and Malta was pretty much the communication center for the British Navy at that time. Very little Air Force, but their British Navy, a good harbor facilities in Malta at that time. And uh, uh, that's why we were there. And we was billeted. Uh, our radio and, and crypto operators were billeted with the Navy. British Navy, but uh, I myself was stayed downtown in in Valletta, which was the capital of, of Malta, and, and uh, uh, I was somewhat dispatched, acting and posing as a civilian 
instructor to all our other operators that were taking part in the maneuvers. And your mission is to gather intelligence on the British. Right, right, absolutely. We was monitoring and, and trying to find out all their frequencies they operated on, their time schedules, how they changed frequencies, when they changed frequencies, uh, anything that went on within their communication, even into the, trying to get into their cryptographic uh, systems and how they coded and decoded messages. Uh, so it was quite an operation, and, and we was there on three different missions, uh, three different in, uh, maneuvers completely, but uh, we was basically looking and observing and looking for the same things. And one of the most successful missions that you undertook, you were able to, you were able to capture one of the very first encryption machines from a NATO country. Can, yes. you, can you remind us how that played uh, out? Yeah, I, I didn't actually capture it, Tom, I don't guess, but I, I, I got somewhat close to a British sailor and as I found out he was uh, working within the communications on that battleship that was at dock. Uh, their sailors are all what they then called were their ho on their holidays and uh, they were celebrating and, and doing a lot of drinking and fun times in, down in Valletta and uh, uh, with this British sailor I, after I found out he was working in the communications I thought this might be an opportunity and I told him gee I'd sure love to see and be able to operate and, and, and do something with a British uh, crypto machine. And uh, he said, well, he said, uh, I might could help you with that. He wanted to know what I would, it would be worth if he could get me one. I said, well, at least I'd say $500. And uh, at that time, he said, golly, he said, man, if you got 500 I could probably get you two of them. <laughs> No, I remember that so well. Do you? Uh, why did you pick him? Was there something about him? Is there? Did your training tell you that he he was a potential target more than somebody else, or do you think that Tom, without a doubt, he was the heavy drinker in the crowd, and, and the one that was pretty boastful and and a, a very outgoing sort of fella. And uh, I just felt like uh, he was he was approachable, and and, and also helped knowing that he was working in the communications, he might have the liberty to to do what I wanted to do and, and to get a machine. And ultimately, that was our, our goal. Mr. Bob, you, you told in your, in your story that he bit off a big chunk of a, of a glass mug and chewed up the glass and swallowed it. Yes, yes, he did. Uh, uh, pretty heavy drinking going on in a little tavern down in Valletta, and, and uh, uh, suddenly he... Uh, bent over with a big mug of clear glass mug of beer sitting on the table and he just gripped it with his teeth and turned that mug up drank it down and then at the end of it when he finished the beer that was in it he he just chomped down on that glass uh i, I don't know why i didn't cut him all to pieces <laughs> and he stood there and uh right, stood up at the table and, and began to chew on that glass honest to god he actually chewed that glass running out on his tongue, and you could see he'd, he'd chewed it to a fine powder. He took another beer and swallowed it down. Wow. Quite an individual. I guess. Do you, so you got the encryption machine from him. Do you know what happened to that sailor? Yes. Uh, after I returned back to Paris uh, some couple of days later, when I got back with that machine, and it was maybe, maybe a week, uh, my chief called me in, of our, our station and, and told me, he said, you know, uh, that, that sailor that you got that machine off of, the crypto machine, uh, I understand through a release from the British government here at NATO uh, headquarters, that shape, 
that he had been has been a sailor off that ship arrested and charged with the theft of a, a encryption machine. Uh, of course, I knew immediately who it was. I could see I could see the man in my face just looking at him, and I knew that who it was. And he said, but but further than that, he said I I need to tell you that he's committed suicide uh, after being charged, and that uh, it, it re really tore me up. Really tore me up because I felt like, and not at that moment, uh, I feel it even today that I'm responsible for that man's death. Uh, is a casualty of the Cold War, I would say, Mr. Bob. This this was part of what was happening uh, during during that time. Let's switch gears a little bit. On Christmas 1953, you were back in Mount Pleasant uh, visiting your high school sweetheart, Miss Jean. How did it feel going back home after all you had experienced thus far in the military? Well, pretty strange, I think, Tom. I, I, I didn't really feel at home, but I had a girlfriend back there that I loved dearly, and uh, and I did go back. I had some days of liberty, and, and I went back. I, I got back to Mount Pleasant on about the, I don't know, 14th, 15th of December. Gene uh, uh, and I was married then on uh, December the 30th, and, uh, and, and, and just six days. After that, on January the 6th, I was called back to Paris, told to report back to Shape headquarters. That very day, I left Nashville on a plane to New York and back to back to Paris. I found it interesting that it was uh, during that visit that Miss Jean told you that she wanted to get married the, the very next day. I have to say, Mr. Bob, that Miss Jean was probably a better spy than you. She was <laughs> able to break you that quickly. Makes me concerned about the, what the Russians might do to you. Well, yeah. <laughs> they, uh. they, they might ought to have recruited her as well. She, she obviously, uh, she, she's, a, she, she's persuasive. She's, she's quite a lady, quite a lady. <laughs> We've held on, and we've been married now, coming up on 60 six years in, in December, so we, we're pretty close to another anniversary. And and at that time, at the time that you got married, you didn't tell her what you did in the Oh, military. no, no, no. She had no idea of what was going on in my life, of what the experiences that uh, that I had already had, which had been several, uh, but uh, she had no idea. And even 62 years later, she had no idea. My children had no idea what had gone on in my life. It remained a secret locked up in my my heart and my brain that I just couldn't just couldn't talk about some of the things that happened. Upon your return to Europe in 1954, you went to Denmark for uh, some joint maneuvers there. And once again, you were successful in getting a an encryption machine, this time from the Russians. Uh, remind us, we talked about this in our, our first segment, but, but if you don't mind, uh, will you recap that for us again? And, and how that transaction Tom, we uh, uh, had suspect that there, that there was a Danish colonel in charge of their communication center at Karup, Denmark. This was a Danish Air Force base just outside of Copenhagen. And, uh, and I was, was charged with, with finding find out what was going on. You know, was he acting as a double agent with the Russian secret police and, and, and still, still within the Danish Air Force? And uh, uh, one day while we was in training and working there, he and I both was observing the, the, uh, the crypto operators uh, coding and decoding messages, Danish and American. And, uh, and I just casually mentioned to him, I said, gee, boy, I'd love to have my, get my hands on a, on a Russian encrypto machine. 
And uh, he, he made no comment. You know, it just seemed like, well, he, he didn't even hear what I said. Uh, but about two days later, he came back to me and said, gee, fella, he said, uh, were you real when you uh, uh, mentioned you'd like to have a Russian in crypto machine? And I said, yes, yes, I would. So uh, he said, well, that just might could be arranged. We'll see what, what might happen if you want to pursue it. And I said, very definitely. Uh, uh, let's go with it. And uh, he said, well, it's going to cost some money. And I said, well, you find out what what all and the details and how much money and, and let me know. I'm going to so, stop you right there. Okay. We're going to leave it with a right. cliffhanger. We're going to have to take another break. Uh, we'll be right back on History Sook. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. Asgard in Norse mythology means dwelling of the gods that ruled the Vikings. Their presence and exploration was so profound that their three-century reign in parts of Europe is known as the Viking Age. Much like their ancestors, Asgard Brewing Company practices the Viking tradition of using what is locally available. You can taste the attention to detail in Asgard's farm-to-barrel brewing method with locally sourced ingredients. Stop by Asgard Brewing Company on the Duck River in downtown Columbia and channel your inner Viking. Brown's Body Shop has two locations to provide your vehicles with high-quality body and frame repairs, the best paint jobs, and custom body fabrications. Brown's Body Shop has been successful for more than 50 years because of their highly trained personnel, competitive prices, superior customer care, and timely service. Don't put off body repairs or that custom paint job at Fenders. Go to Brown's Body Shop today, 1505 Nashville Highway in Columbia, 129 Alpha Drive in Franklin. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. Property care doesn't have to be back-breaking and time-consuming work for you. Let the specialists at Storm and Norman's Lawn and Landscaping take care of it. You just enjoy. New or existing homes and businesses, basic lawn maintenance, complete property makeovers, new landscaping installs, and anything in between. Grading, gravel driveways, culverts, sod, drainage, beds, whatever you need. Find Storm and Norman's Lawn and Landscaping on Facebook, then give them a call. Storm and Norman's Lawn and Landscaping. History's Hook, sponsored by SurfPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. I'm joined in the studio today by Mr. Bob Jones, and former NSA spy, uh, along with my co-host, Dr. Barry Gidcombe. 
Uh, Mr. Bob, you were uh, just explaining how you started this transaction of acquiring a Russian encryption machine, uh, and uh, you're uh, in a transaction with a Danish colonel. Uh, yes, we was highly suspect that he was a double agent uh, working with the Russian secret police, and and uh, as it turned out, he was. Uh, but he told me that uh, if you are interested and, 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 and can make things happen, I've got a friend that's got a friend that can, that can get an encryption machine. Uh, as it turned out in, 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 our, in our further briefing, we found out that his friend that had a friend was a Russian major working in the communication center, Russian, at the embassy in Berlin. And, uh, and they were suspect of him being, being a traitor. So at that time, they began to, without me knowing what was going on, uh, set up a, 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 a three-way thing that they was going to get expose their Russian major as a traitor to their country and also draw me into the, to their hook and to their nest of being being charged with a with a spy and, and within getting a russian encryption machine and uh, and the, i guess the the web began to spin uh, so much that i wasn't aware of and uh as we set up our, our, our rendezvous and, and to make our exchange we and it was set up i was assigned a, a a cia agent to work with me uh very closely and uh and we did we uh, he set up a, a rendezvous that we was going to have in Hamburg, Germany, about a five six hour car trip from from Copenhagen, and uh, and we traveled there two days before we was going to make our exchange and meet with this Russian major. We'd already met with him several times, setting up our plans and what was going to happen and 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 and, and uh, on the amount of money we was going to give for it, and uh, we we jewed with him a little bit, I guess. Uh, originally wanted fifteen thousand, and we settled for ten, which was uh, equivalent probably to uh, close to ninety thousand dollars in today's money. Uh, but we met in Hamburg, and, and we uh, uh, began to observe what was going on. We was there two days early, thought we had everything set up, and I, again I was assigned a room there at the hotel, room two hundred four, which kind of it was kind of eerie to me once I saw that key in my hand. Uh, that number keeps popping up in your in throughout your life. Absolutely, even to 54 years of living at that address that I have just recently <laughs> moved away from. Uh, but we were there, uh, went to the room. I met the, the Russian major. We uh, exchanged our condolences and so forth in the in the lobby. We went up to our room and, and we both went in. I remember distinctly locking the door behind me, uh, dropping the key down in my left top coat pocket. And, uh, and he laid his encryption machine. It was in a leather-bound case on the bed and opened it up. And, uh, and I was thrilled to death. I thought, well, boy, I, I, I've, I've hit the jackpot here today. Uh, but about the time those thoughts come in my mind, uh, the door jarred and come burst open. And <clears throat> in come two, of, at that time, what I thought, two of the biggest men in my life. Uh, immediately, I knew that they were the secret, uh, Russian secret police. And I didn't know what, why they were there. Uh, and you're not armed. I'm not armed. But uh, Tom, the CIA agent that had been signed with me, he had previously, we had gotten together, and he was hiding in the room. You knew he was in the room? I knew that he okay. was in our room, hiding behind a curtain. Uh, the, the room was very primitive somewhat. It wasn't much more than a bed and a, a small chest, a chair. Uh, the bathroom just had a little curtain 
pulled over the door and then the, and the closet just had a curtain just kind of stretched across the doorway and that's where he was hiding uh, i didn't know where he, which room he was in but i was i knew he would be in one of those two rooms um the 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 russian agents and, and the russian major began to argue and fuss and between one another all the communication was in russian i didn't know what they were saying but i knew it was getting very heated they was pushing him shoving him back and forth from one another and i noticed that one of the agents had a knife must have been had a blade 12 14 inches long a very sharp point and the other one had a pistol in his hand and within the just three or four seconds very very shortly one of them grabbed him and jerked his head back and the other one just took that knife and cut his head I mean completely off and dropped his head on the floor at my feet and shoved his limp body over against me which covered me with his blood and so forth and uh, at the same instance shots began to be fired and it was my CIA agent that was had shot one of the Russian agents and they was exchanging gunfire and uh, and both Russian agents had fallen to the floor and uh, and and I looked up and my CIA agent was coming out of the closet all bent over and bleeding profusely uh, he fell across the corner of the bed right on top of where I had laid my top coat uh, uh, and went to his knees and fell across that top coat and I, I, I went down to him just like I was saying a prayer I guess I was praying because I was scared to death at the time and I said what can I do I'll go get help and he just said no finish the mission and at that that was his last word he, he he slumped over and fell over against me and and i lowered his body to the floor did you ever and know his name mr bob i never knew his name tom uh he never knew mine but i knew instantly instantly that god had just stepped into my life saved my life through him uh because without him i would i wouldn't be here today yes sir I, i've been trying to do a little research and i was hoping to to, to be able to find information on who he was uh the CIA and the NSA have declassified uh, an, a, quite a large number of documents from the 1950s, but mm -hmm. as of right now, I've not been able to find him. He, no. He's not on the wall of honor, as so many are not, no. of course, as you no. know. Um, but it, I, 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 I'd love I, to know. I got who, no who idea after I left that room that, that day, that afternoon, uh, what happened to him. I don't know uh, who took charge of his body or where it went. Uh, I, I got nothing beyond that is, is what happened. You were able to get the encryption machine out. Absolutely. And yeah. and you write that after the mission, you were ordered to go undercover for a while because the Soviets were embarrassed by what had happened, yes. probably more yes. than a little angry, yeah. uh, and maybe looking for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was told, you know, that they would not forget easily the Russian secret police and that they would be looking for me. And uh, uh, my, my chief, and I'm sure with his authorities, also felt like I need to take out, be taken out of the the, the fishbowl, you might say, and I was. Um, I called it quarantine. <laughs> Back to shape headquarters. I lived there. I didn't leave that building for the next uh, five months, and uh, maybe maybe close to six months. Uh, I worked within the radio section and the cryptographic sections, but I did not leave the U.S. section. Not even to go to the to the Italian areas of that building. I stayed, eat, and lived in that one section right there for uh, nearly six months. Um, Couldn't leave. After a, a short respite, your chief asked if you'd be willing to take on another mission, uh, this time to monitor a military maneuver in Turkey. 
well, on that flight there, it was announced that the plane you were on was being ordered by Soviet pilots to land in Soviet-allied Bulgaria. Uh, this story, I think, is the scariest one of all. Uh, tell, tell us what happened. Uh, <clears throat> Tom, uh, I, I did. He, he called me by name first time. He called me Bob, and he asked me if I could thought I could do one more mission. Uh, I would have gone anywhere in the world at that time because I was just— uh, had been in that building and so quarantined, I was I was ready to go and do anything, and uh, uh, we did. I flew from from Paris to Rome and on on my way to Istanbul on a British European Airways flight. Flight, and uh, uh, suddenly, about the time the pilot announced that uh, we was going to have to to land, make a, a forced landing, I had previously noticed just a few seconds before that there was a couple of planes flying dangerously close to us. And as the pilot told us that we had been intercepted by the Russian uh, uh, Air Force uh, planes and they were, we were being forced down and we were going to make a landing, he said, I'm so sorry, folks, uh, but uh, I have not done anything wrong. We've not violated any airspace, but uh, we got to go down. And I knew immediately uh, why we were going down. I knew within my, my own mind, my heart, and it was pumping 100 miles an hour. I promise you that. But uh, we went down and landed, and it was I knew that the Russian secret police was looking for me, not for anything else, it was not because what anything the pilot had done. And uh, uh, once we was on the ground, uh, the, I noticed uh, some Bulgarian uh, uh, soldiers that was coming out, a couple of officers with them to the plane where we were sitting on the, on the outside that, uh, the air station there. And <coughs> they come aboard the plane, talked to the pilot, and then within a, uh, <clears throat> a few minutes, the pilot told us that there would be a, a gentleman or a soldier that would come down the aisle with a box, and we were all ordered to put our passports in that box when he passed down the aisle where the plane. There was 26 of us, 26 passengers on that plane, I remember distinctly. So uh, this is a small plane. This isn't even a larger plane. Oh, no, no, no. It was just a small two-prop plane. Uh, which most of them were, you know, it was uh, that was before the uh, time of jet travel and anything. So it was a, a smaller plane, uh, only 26 aboard passengers aboard that plane. And you're plane. trapped. They're, I'm trapped. You're not I'm, getting off this plane. No. And they're asking for your passport. Right. As he started down the aisle, uh, I was sitting toward the back of the plane, and uh, next to a, a lady, I believe she was Italian, and she... Uh, Begin to. She didn't think I maybe knew what they was talking about. She had already gotten her passport out of her, out of her purse and was holding it, and she was motioning to me to get mine. And 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 again, uh, my Lord and God has stepped up in my life. He told me, and a lot of people wouldn't believe this, but I could hear the words, "Don't turn in that passport. Keep it." And I motioned to her, no, and so she motioned again. I needed to do it, and 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 suddenly. The Bulgarian soldier was right on us. She dropped hers in that box, and I didn't make a motion. I just sat there. And he hurriedly went on down the aisle, didn't realize that I had not dropped a passport. And I guess maybe he thought that she had dropped mine because I was sitting next to the window on the plane in with hers. But uh, they left the plane with a guard on the plane uh, uh, to watch all of us. We sat there for nine hours on that plane which is unimaginable to me the stress that you had to have for nine hours and what that must have felt like and i knew while we were sitting there 
Absolutely. In my mind, I knew why we were sitting there. So, uh, and so they have passports. They, they know there are 26 people on board, so they should have 26 passports. But somehow they failed to count the, the 26 people and the 26 passports to match that uh, one against the other. Uh, that's the only my guessing that why they, they just overlooked uh, a passport that they was looking for. Uh, being Bulgarian, and they was working we, we in with the Russians, but the Russians weren't there at the time. It was all Bulgarian uh, military that was doing the, the interviewing and, and the stuff on the plane that was taking place. We're going to stop one more time, and uh, I want to come back to the story and, and, and sort of learn what was going on in your mind during that ni- nine hours of thinking. We'll be right back on History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook, sponsored by ServPro, will be right back right after this brief commercial break. Hi, I'm Steve, the garbage man. Have you been hauling your own garbage to the convenience center? Are you tired of doing it? Does your work schedule keep you from hauling it off regularly? Is your teenage son not taking it off like he promised when he got his driver's license? Do you have something better to do on Saturday? If any of these questions strike home to you, call the garbage man at 931-540-0919 and your problem will be solved. Looking for convenience? Try Quickmark Convenience Stores, conveniently located all across Murray County, Southern Middle Tennessee, and North Alabama. Right now, get 99 cent icy any size. Hungry for breakfast? Try two ham biscuits for $3. Or how about two grilled chicken sandwiches for just $4? It's Quickmark Convenience Stores, conveniently located all across Southern Middle Tennessee and North Alabama. Quickmark Convenience Stores, proudly serving Shell Gasoline staff at Spring Hill Memorial Park and Funeral Home know that today's busy schedules often cause you to put things off that need to be done. Planning for the inevitable is a special gift from the heart that spares your loved ones the burden of making difficult decisions at the time of your death. The experienced and caring staff at Spring Hill Memorial will assist you in making these decisions. Locally owned and operated, Spring Hill Memorial Park Funeral Home and Cremation Services, 931-486-0059. Visit your local Buick and GMC dealership first for new or pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Parks Motor Sales. At Parks, professional sales staff makes shopping easy. Buick and GMC financing can put you in the vehicle you want. And certified technicians keep vehicles running great. Experience the new Buick at Parks Motor Sales. Go online to parksmotorsales.com. Find your favorite vehicle. Then stop by Parks at 919 Nashville Highway for a test drive. Parks GMC. We are professional. If you hear this commercial and spend absolutely any time outside, you need Columbia Farm Supply. Animal supplies, decor, hand tools, clothing, hardware, and more. Or whatever you need on the farm, in your garden, on your front porch, your backyard, your property line. If you need it outside, check Columbia Farm Supply first. See all their products at morethanafarmstore.com. Then you'll be ready to head out to 170 Bear Creek Pike to give them a visit. Columbia Farm Supply. History's Hook, sponsored by SurfPro, with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. We're in the middle of a story with Mr. Bob Jones, who is an NSA 
uh, agent in the early 1950s. And Mr. Bob, you're explaining how you're on your way to Turkey. Your plane is forced down by the Soviets. Uh, Bulgarian soldiers come on board uh, and gather your passports. But for some reason, that's really pretty inexplicable. They don't count the 26 people to match the what they ought to have, 26 passports. Uh, and you don't have a you don't have an explanation as to why. No, that I happened. really don't, Tom. That's just my summation that that I that their passport count and the number of passengers uh, uh, just didn't jive, and but they didn't they didn't count it. That's my thinking. That that's the only way that they could have missed it. So you're nine hours on this plane, this small cramped space with 26 people. There's no place for you to go. And they have you sitting there for nine hours. What's going through your mind in that nine hours? Well, first of all, the, the, the restroom facilities. Uh, with, with those people, <laughs> it becomes very unusual, and, and that was that was horrible within the plane. Uh, but, I, yeah, I, my mind w- was just, just going 100 miles an hour as to what was going to take place. I knew that when they come back aboard the plane that, you know, that there would be some action taken, that they would single me out. And, and, and take me off the plane. Uh, uh, Which, what would have been the outcome of that? And we talked about this a little bit. Had the Russians got a hold of you, what what do you think their actions would have been? Well, we was in a Soviet area. It, we, Bulgaria was a Soviet uh, a country at the time. And without a doubt, you know, I would have been charged uh, w- with this fine and what it all had gone on back in Hamburg with the murder of their two secret policemen and uh, not actually murder, but within the scuffle that went on, they, they, they did lose two. Uh, and the Russian major uh, that was a traitor to their country, but they would have they would have used that, I, I, I'm sure, with all the debriefings we went through with, uh, to show that I was a, a, an American spy, spying against the, the Soviet Union, and that I, I had an encryption machine in my hand that belonged to them. I had money to trying to bribe the major to pay for it. And, uh, you had ten thousand dollars in your pocket. Ten thousand dollars in my pocket, and uh, uh, I would have been carried back into. It's Russia. the perfect scenario from the Soviet standpoint. This is this could become a major international incident. Oh yeah, within the Cold War, that was what was going on in the, in in, uh, in the world at that time. It would have been it would have been a horrible situation uh, between the United States and the propaganda for them, and uh, and of course I could have never admitted to spying, but and the United States would not have been behind me. I, I, we would have understood that very well, that anything like this ever happened, that, uh, uh, that you know, we'd strictly be on our own. How did that make you feel? You, you wouldn't have the backing of your country that you're sacrificing everything for. That's a, that's a difficult and odd situation to be well, in. Well, I guess that's the ultimate sacrifice that down to the very end, you know. I understood that we could not admit to spying. And, and, and those things go on in this world today. You know, I, I, there's instances that we read in the paper, we don't understand what's what's behind and what's going on. But, you know, those similar type things happen in, in today's world. It's incredible to think about what, what could have happened. I think of Gary Francis Powers and the, the spy plane scenario and what that meant mm-hmm. for uh, relations between the Soviets and the United States, sort of the repercussions of that. This This same incident could have could have exploded it, this could it, have it been exploded a... yeah absolutely and and mr bob you made a you made a decision there on that plane that this wasn't going to happen and what did you do there on the plane uh barry i had uh, uh had been issued 
uh, a pen that I kept over myself just in case I ever got in such a situation as this as I was in at that time. Uh, a little secret area on top of that pen, I had a, 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 a capsule, uh, uh, liquid cyanide, and I knew that I could kill myself. And I had come to that. I, that's what I was going to do. I, I took that pill out. When I saw the, the Bulgarian uh, officials coming back aboard the plane, uh, I knew that, that my time had come to the end, and I was not going to let them take me off that plane and carry me back into Russia and charge with spying so forth and embarrassment to our country and everything else that would take place. And uh, I put that pill, I actually put it in my mouth, and all I had to do was, was chomp down on it, make a couple of chews, and I'd be dead just in a few seconds, a couple of minutes maybe. And, uh, and I sat there with that pill in my mouth, just waiting for him to come toward me. And, uh, and, but suddenly the pilot uh, told us that uh, we were free to go. And, uh, you know, it, it sounded uh, unreal. Uh, you couldn't imagine the, the feeling that you'd have with the fear and all that was going on. And suddenly you said, well, let's, you can go. You're free. Uh, freedom. Freedom is something that we, we take for granted so much in our life and uh, and we got we got we got to live and make freedom but anyway uh yeah so i kept that pill in my mouth till we was actually airborne uh i kept that pill in my mouth uh before i took it out that's incredible uh did you continue with the mission yes we we we, uh, we flew on to uh, istanbul uh we were told that what, as before we debarked debarked the plane that we would be carried as a group uh, in into an interview area, uh, I guess it was making the big news in the airways of what the news was at that time in the world anyway, and uh, but I had a, 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 a what I call my shadow that I spoke previously about. Uh, I recognized him when I come. We come off the plane, we made motions to one another, and as we was going down a, a corridor of that airport there in Istanbul, <laughs> he motioned for me to go through a doorway, and we both went through that doorway. It was a restroom. We run through that restroom and out another door uh, into another corridor. And uh, uh, we went running dead long into the uh, uh, parking lot area. And we was in his car, and away we went. Uh, I told him, Is- Izmir, that that's where our mission was. And he said, no, no, we're going to Ankara. And I said, no, no, our mission's in Izmir. And he said, no, we got orders to go to Ankara, which was an American Air Force base there in Turkey. Uh, drove all night. I had several all-night car trips getting out of some places during my time doing this. Uh, got to the Air Force Base about daybreak. Uh, I was given something to eat, and almost immediately I was on board a plane on my way back to Paris, just flying, just me, to get me out of all that mess and, and what was going on and within the world at that time. So did did the higher-ups know what had happened to you? They They were... I'm they, sure, I'm sure, Tom, yes, they knew that, that that plane that I was on had been forced down. Uh, how, how the Russian secret police knew that I was on that plane, nobody knows. But uh, we had some suspect in interrogations and our debriefings that somehow somebody let the word out, maybe on purpose, who knows. Uh, how else would they have known that I'd been on that particular flight from Paris to Rome and Rome on to, uh, on my way to Istanbul if somebody had not talked and said hey Bob Jones is is aboard a certain plane if you're looking for him he's there for the picking 
And uh, but they missed you. Yeah. That, it's an incredible story yeah. and really just mind-boggling as to why they, they didn't missed get me you. because <laughs> of because of because of God. Divine intervention. Divine intervention stepped up in my life. In 1955, you had a decision to make: stay stay in the military or get out. You decided. I decided to get out, uh, Tom. I I, I had a, a good job offer to go back to Fort Meade, Maryland. In fact, I was back in Fort Meade, Maryland uh, when the offer was made, and uh, I, I had time to think about it. But I knew that uh, my life had to be somewhere else. I had married, of course, uh, earlier while I had been through, going through all this, and uh, I, I didn't have a girlfriend anymore. I had a wife that I we need to be together. So. Uh, I elected to go back to Mount Pleasant and uh, become part of what I've been in civilian life since that time. What did it feel like after this large life that you had just led going back to Mount Pleasant, Tennessee? Was it a hard transition? Oh, yes, it was. And I, I uh, Tom, for, as I have told previously, my wife had no idea, no idea what had gone on in my life. And you were sworn to secrecy I was for sworn a time to, period. For 15 years when I was discharged back into civilian life i was sworn to secrecy from the nsa and uh, uh and i upheld that but after that 15 years you know i i still didn't talk about it i couldn't talk about it i didn't want to talk about it and and i didn't and it was 62 years later that before i ever spoke about it and that was uh, at a veterans tribute at uh, my local church i was asked to speak uh, on my uh, uh military experiences and I had just a, a little bit previous to that on a mission trip. I had spoke to the youth of our church, and uh, uh, and that's I told them a little bit about being a spy, and and that just I guess that opened the door. How did it feel to tell the story after all of that time? Oh, uh, a relief, Tom. It's like you know being let out of a box. It's just all of a sudden you know uh, you was in the daylight, and and you could see something. And I still think about it a lot. I still think I'd still dream about it, uh, some, but nothing, nothing like it. It had lived within me for, for years and years and years. You packed a lot of life into just a short period of time during your military service. Um, you saw some pretty horrible violence. Has that had an effect on you in your life? How have you, and did the military help you cope with that, especially that trip in, that trip to Germany? How, how have you been I, I able think, to handle that? I think some of the, the, the previous training of not growing close to one another, uh, 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 to be an individual, and, and I, I was told that nobody else was really interested in who I was or who my life was or where I came from. And uh, that wasn't really true, but, you know, within your own soul, you, you get, begin to realize that, that, that we're all individuals, and, uh, and as his life goes on, you, you, you face what you have to face and do what you have to do from one day to the next. Mr. Bob, thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, it's, it's an incredible story. I think there's so much to be learned uh, from that time period and, and how you were connected to it. Th- thank you for sharing, sharing that with us. It, thank I, you, Tom. I, I thank you I for the thank opportunity. You and Barry, thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> we'll end the show with this quote from the great military strategist Sun Tzu. He said, it is only the enlightened ruler and the wise general who will use the highest intelligence of the army for the purposes of spying, and therefore they achieve great results. Thank you for listening to History's Hook. As always, we'd like to thank our sponsor, ServPro of Murray and Giles County. We'll be back next week. 
Thank you for listening to History's Hook with Tom Price. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. right here on WKRM 103.7 FM for a journey through time. Today's edition of History's Hook was sponsored by SurfPro of Murray and Giles County. SurfPro, faster to any disaster. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. Holtz Towing offers complete roadside assistance and has been rescuing drivers in Middle Tennessee for 23 years. They are available 24 hours a day, so in an emergency, just call Holtz Towing right away. If you get a flat, engine trouble, or run out of gas, call Holtz Towing. Mention this ad and save $5. They do minor repairs and pay cash for junk cars. Remember, Holtz Towing, 615-708-7073. That's 615-708-7073. Welcome to Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram. Dedicated to exceptional service, the highest integrity, and your complete satisfaction. We're proud to serve all of Middle Tennessee with over 500 new and 125 pre-owned vehicles in stock to choose from. Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram offers volume discounts from friendly and knowledgeable sales professionals or expert service from our certified technicians. That's how we became the number one Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram dealer in the state of Tennessee. You can count on us. Number one claim based on 2015 combined retail and fleet sales for Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram in the state of Tennessee. Hello, I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. You may have heard our previous commercials about compression hosiery that we carry at Holland's Pharmacy. Well, we've recently expanded into a full line of knee braces, back, wrist, ankle, and other support wear. We will gladly help you get just the right fit for these items and, of course, special order items to ensure the proper fit. Come see us at Holland's Pharmacy, 1608 Hatcher Lane, or call us at 931-388-4233. 388-4233. At Southern Trace Steakhouse in downtown Columbia, we hand-select only the best black Angus beef for our cut-by-hand steaks. Our chops are French-cut and flame-kissed. Want something lighter and fair? Try our garden-fresh salads or something fresh from the sea. Classic southern sides, a bounty of appetizer options and pastas, and some of the best sandwiches in town. There's something for everybody at Southern Trey Steakhouse on West 7th Street in downtown Columbia. WKOM, your music, your sports, your radio station. WKOM, 101.7 FM. You hit the right spot.